Good evening. Welcome. It's Bible Talk with Jade and Shannon. I'm Jane. I'm Shannon. <laughs> hey, tonight our topic is Philippians chapter 1. We are going to go through the book of Philippians one chapter a week because, because it's a great book or letter, whatever you want to call it. And uh, if you don't mind, I'd like to tell the world or whoever, the few people who listen, what I feel the theme is for Philippians. Okay. According, I'd love to hear according, according to, to Jane. Because then I'll give you according to Shannon if I disagree. But go okay. ahead. Okay. The theme for Philippians, according to Jane, is let Jesus spill out. Okay. I guess I, what were you I can say? agree with that. Um, the little bit of research I did on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is one of the few letters that Paul didn't write to a church in crisis. Oh. He wrote this one in joy. Oh. They were great supporters of his. And he talks about staying steadfast in the faith. Oh, I And the joy. Yeah. And unity and joy and strength. All these, these, this is 100% positive. Right. They didn't have someone sleeping with his stepmom. There was nothing, there was nothing (laughs) negative. This was all very positive. And also, well, here's a couple things I got from one of my Bibles, the New American Standard Introduction. It says, this is, and this goes with you said, mm-hmm. Philippians is Paul's most, one of his most personal letters. And most believe that this letter was written from Rome in prison. And um, in Acts 16, we, can I go there, Acts 16? Mm-hmm. It's the history of when it began, actually. The first European con, uh, con, uh, convert right, was in Philippians. Philippi is in uh, is in uh, Macedonia, which yes. is right basically um, the northern in, part of Greece. Yes, so mm-hmm. uh, this is how the Philippian church was started. And Paul, you can say, started the church. Paul came first to Derby, then Lystra. He found a disciple there by the name of Timothy, son of a devout Jewish mother and Greek father. Oh well, okay. So they were traveling, traveling, traveling. He and Timothy and whoever else, and then. Um, Putting out from the harbor at Troas, this is verse 11, we, meaning Luke's writing this, so Luke's with him now, we made a straight run for Samothrace. The next day we tied up at New City and walked from there to Philippi, the main city in that part of Macedonia, and even more importantly, a Roman colony. We lingered there several days. On the Sabbath, we left the city, went down along the river where we had heard there was to be a prayer meeting. We took our place with the women who gathered there and talked with them, one woman, Lydia, was from Thyatira. Now she ends up converting. Her whole household converts. Mm-hmm. She's a wealthy businesswoman. I kind of think, they don't say this in here, but there's a good chance that the church started in her house because she had them stay at her home and she had servants. And Well, possibly. Possibly. We're not going to... We're not know. for sure on that one. But she was the first convert. First. It was interesting. Paul went to Philippi uh, initially not by choice. Right. This was because of a vision. He said, God mm-hmm. said, this is where I want you to go. Um, Philippi, Philippi was a very interesting um, element within the Roman Empire, too, in that they had autonomous government and immunity from tribute. Oh. They were on a, they were on a uh, very strategic uh, roadway, so they were treated well by Rome. Oh, because they want to keep they the They didn't place. want anything anything coming between it. So it... it it, it's a special place um, because of its location and because of its autonomy. But unlike, and some of the other churches that Paul writes to also mm-hmm. are, 
blessed financially and have other things going for them. But this church um, did everything right, or at least we're, we're doing it yeah. right. So, so I um, he begins this chapter one, begins the letter in prayer. I want to read this little thing. This is from Eugene Peterson's a little commentary about this. Paul began, began his letter to the Philippians with prayer. It wasn't the second thing. It was the first thing. It wasn't peripheral. It was central. Prayer is the action that lives out the belief that God is a personal being with a sovereign will. Because of that, Paul formulated all his plans in consultation with God. A life that begins with prayer is the result of an understanding and a decision. An understanding that God is personally involved in everything that's going on in me and in the world. And a decision that I want to participate in it on his terms. When the roots of prayer go deep into the fertile loam of our humanity, prayer grows to blossom into the kind of joyful exuberance we see in Paul's relationship with the Philippians. A person who prays is not morose and not a recluse. A person who prays is a joyful person who delights in relationships with a profound sense of gratitude. So do you think we should read it? Yeah, I want to I wanna read through it because... Um, First of all, this takes place, uh, most Bible scholars are saying, it takes place during his second missionary journey. Mm. Um, Paul was in prison many times. Mm-hmm. So writing it from prison doesn't tell us a whole lot. Oh, okay. Right. But it is, it is, the majority of people believe it was written from uh, uh, in Rome. He was actually in Rome. Mm-hmm. But at this point in time, mm-hmm. Timothy is with him. Mm. Because it starts out, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. Mm-hmm. To all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then uh, 3-6 through six says, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. I love that. Mm-hmm. That's There's so many quotable verses that people will recognize and remember out of Philippians. Mm-hmm. You know, There's so many things there, but that's one of them. And that one is Confident a perfect... that he who began a good work in you will carry it out. And that's a verse you completion. can actually pray for someone. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's already a prayer, so I mean... If you don't in know all my prayers, pray, I always yeah. pray with joy because of your partnership. I just love that. That you know, because not all of Paul's letters are are this intimate or this happy. Or I mean, he's not correcting anything here. Right. He just says, "You guys bring me joy." Mm-hmm. What a lovely sentiment to come from from Paul while he's sitting in prison, and he addresses the prison thing a little bit later on here. But you know, he just he's just happy with this church. Yeah, these what people are doing what he was hoping they would all do. So, mm-hmm. once you pick up from there, go seven and eight. Just seven and eight. Yeah. Okay. For it is only right for me to feel this way about you all, because I have you in my heart. Since both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers of grace with me. For God is my witness, how I long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. So there he addresses the chains. Oh, right, right, right. Whether he's in chains or not, mm-hmm. or he's defending or confirming the gospel, all of those things, he has them in his heart. Mm-hmm. And I, I think, from a pastoral sense, what a blessing it would have been to Paul to know that there was a church that was supporting him and doing it right. Mm-hmm. 
you know what a what a blessing that is. I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. In other words, He loves His church. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really good. Mm-hmm. Now nine through eleven says, and this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Again, I love this one. Yeah. I pray that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. What a beautiful sentiment that is. Um, can I read the part of that sure. from the message? Right. Um, he says uh, that part more and more... He. Uh, it says in the message, learn to love appropriately. You need to use your head and test your feelings so that your love is sincere and intelligent, not sentimental. Gosh, live a lover's life, circumspect and exemplary, a life Jesus will be proud of, bountiful in fruits from the soul, making Jesus Christ attractive to all, getting everyone involved in the glory and praise of God. So hmm. there's a question there. What's the difference between love that is sincere and intelligent and sentimental gush. And also, hmm. how can you test your feelings to ensure well, that I, you're loving in a responsible way? It's interesting because I, I see why well, the translations were very different here. And the message translation is usually not that different. Mm-hmm. Because I wouldn't have taken what I read out of the NIV here to be what you just said there. Well, Because I'm, the way you're reading it out of the message, it sounds almost like he's trying to correct them on something. And I don't know if he's trying to correct them at all. Well, I I think I see it in the like how you said this is okay. This is the NASB mm-hmm. verse nine, and this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment. Mm-hmm. So we do have to have discernment when we love. I mean, are we just right, having goofy feelings? I know, but he's not accusing them. Of oh no, no, and maybe I don't think he is in that either because I didn't. What I what I take from this is he's saying I, I pray that your love just keeps continues to grow and grow. And then it grows in knowledge and mm-hmm. depth. But I think it's an acknowledgement of the fact that their love is genuine and real. Mm-hmm. And they're doing it right. And he says, I, I just pray that it just continues to get better and better and mm-hmm. better. Mm-hmm. Not that it's bad, but that it's going to get mm-hmm. better. And what he's praying for for them is something that I think I, I pray for my church as well. What's that? That they get more and more knowledge and depth of insight. Mm-hmm. Into love, too. Right, but their, their, mm-hmm. their love would grow because of their knowledge. Their love would mm-hmm. grow because of their insight. Their love would grow because of the fact that they are seeking to get deeper. Mm-hmm. I love that. And I think Paul talking to this church is saying that. He said, you know, oh, I love I love you guys. And I just pray you just get better and better and better. And I, But I think you there know? is a... Um, I think sometimes people forget, especially in our modern culture, maybe not way back then, but mm-hmm. I, I mean, I don't know how they were, were but um, sometimes people think, okay, they're going to be part of a church and it's all going to be lovey-dovey or whatever. And then reality hits, oh no, we're all just human and sometimes we're cranky and sometimes we might fight, but that doesn't mean you don't love each other. You stick by each other and... Um, I don't disagree with that at all, but I don't think Paul's saying that here because I don't think there's a problem to address. No, I'm not saying there's a problem, but I do think... I just feel like he's just telling them, just 
be you. And I just pray you get deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper into the love that you have. I think I think this is, you know, this is my prayer that your love may abound more and more. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, that it just continues to grow. You're doing it right. Just keep growing. Mm-hmm. And he he uses knowledge and depth of insight there, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. I don't think, um, I think he's he's his prayer is for growth and perseverance here. Mm-hmm. But I don't think he's telling them they don't have it. No, I never said that. I know you didn't say that. I don't. But it just agree. it kind of came through that way somewhat, and I don't know why. But eh, it's just maybe what I heard, not what not what you said. So. Okay. All right, let's keep going here. Um, I'll read 12 through 14. I think that's my next break here. So, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Here he's really addressing... He's really strongly addressing the fact that it's not a bad thing that I'm in prison. Right. They love him. They are supporting his ministry financially. You know, they're they're sending people to him, all those things. And he's saying, don't worry about me being in prison because it's doing great things. Yeah. Great things are happening because I'm here. It has actually served to advance the gospel. I love that. Mm-hmm. He, is, he is reassuring them that it's good on his end. You know, mm-hmm. later he talks about how I, I don't know if I'll ever get a chance to see you again. But he's he says, you know, don't worry about me. It's going good over here. We're doing good things. And even that it's a blessing to be in prison. Right. Because the whole palace guard knows that why he's in prison. He's in prison for Christ. And they're learning from that. So that's an amazing statement there. And I also love the fact that he acknowledges, you know, we, um, you mentioned Lydia and and her role and whatever that role was. She was a leader in the church of some mm-hmm. sort. I want you to know brothers and sisters. He doesn't say it very often. He doesn't say brothers and sisters very often. But he does here. And I think that's that's telling about this church too. I think this, this church was uh, probably more balanced better balanced than most of the churches because he wasn't correcting them and by saying brothers and sisters it's just a, it's an inclusive thing i like that well nasb just says brethren hmm. i think it depends upon the the translation mm-hmm. but um but i think you're right i mean i think this was it probably was very balanced i mean this is uh i mean it started with a woman you know in her house or i mean they stayed at her house but right. I mean, it just. But it's and it's uh, this part of the world where he was at was obviously fairly advanced because it was a businesswoman. Yeah. So I mean, there was an equality in their society already to some extent. Right. That she could be that way. Um, not everything at, at the the writing of the New Testament. Not every society would have been like that. Right. So it, it's just it's just so positive. Mm-hmm. He's saying so many positive things here. I just. I like that. Now, it it does go a little bit different in the next few verses. So why don't you read 15 through 18? Okay. How about I just go through 20? Okay. 
15 through 20. Some, to be sure, are preaching Christ even from envy and strife, but some also from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition rather than from pure motives, thinking to cause me distress in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in this I rejoice, yes, and I will rejoice. For I know that this shall turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope, that I shall not be put to shame in anything, but that with all boldness Christ shall even now, as always, be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. Oh. Yeah, my 20 says in my translation, it's just slightly different again, but I love the wording in both of them. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage to know, so that, or so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether well, by life or death. What version is that? NIV. Oh, I was just reading from the NASB. Sure. I just, I, that, all translations are good because it's just different words, but, you know, he said that I will, that we'll, but we'll have sufficient courage so that Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or death. Mm-hmm. I, I like that too. And he he says I will continue to rejoice, but he does mention in, in starting in fifteen, he talks about how some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. Mm-hmm. And of course, the goodwill is great, but it's envy and rivalry and goodwill against him. Mm-hmm. That's what he's talking about, right? And so apparently, somewhere somebody is in competition with him. Is in competition with him, or is is trying to one-up him or whatever you want to say. And Paul has a beautiful approach to that. He says, who cares? If Christ is being preached, I don't care. Mm-hmm. It's not it, about me. It's it, about Christ. And I, I, again, I really like that sentiment that he's... Um, it's not a false humility or anything like that. Mm-hmm. It's just, it just simply is, so what? If people are getting the gospel, they're getting the gospel. I do like... Well, it's interesting because it shows that, you know, there are people just like us. I mean... Even in the beginnings of the church, there were people competing with each other, and mm-hmm. and um, you know they dealt with the same things we're dealing with. And I've read, you know, it's not that even though they're the beginning churches, they were really no better or any worse than no. any of our churches. It's just, um, and we deal with different things, but it really it gets back down to human nature. Yeah, and he, you know, when he says, "Supposing they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains." In other words, like they think they're out there going to... Take all his converts. Or, (laughs) you know, take over something while I can't be there to defend myself. Yeah. It's not about myself. I have nothing to defend. Yeah. They didn't even know Paul then, obviously, because they they, uh, didn't... They thought they were going to, like, get his goat and get him all riled up, but he didn't care. Well, and, you know, we know about Paul's life enough to know that, you know, there was some strife initially with the original apostles and they called him to Jerusalem and they didn't trust him and things mm-hmm. like that were going on. So there was a little bit there and he even had a conflict with Peter mm-hmm. over Gentiles and stuff. Mm-hmm. And Paul was a, I think I'm sure if, if you would to meet him personally, he would have been a force of nature. I mean, this is an intelligent man that's on fire and he would have been, I mean, if you sit down and have a conversation You'll understand what he's saying. You mm-hmm. might hear about letters or thir- third hand of 
from somebody who read a letter that he wrote that may not understand all the context of what he wrote it in and, and draw some sort of opinion. But from Paul's perspective, it's all Christ. Yeah. So. And that's what our focus is supposed to be. Right. No matter what, it's supposed to be. That's why the divisions that occur in the church or between churches is is just so ungodly and so anti-God. That's the same thing, I guess, ungodly or anti-God, because there's no divisions in the body of Christ. I mean, no. and that, there's just one body of Christ. That's and, it. And it's so sad when, when you hear about conflicts between, whether it's a de- denomination or within churches in the same denomination or anything like that, mm-hmm. because somewhere along the line, people who are probably all very well-intentioned yeah. Lost track. Yeah. Somewhere along the line. People that started track. out with all the right intentions, something derailed them. Yeah. And that's that's sad. All right, I'll pick up from, I'll go 21 through 26. How about that? Well, let's just read the whole chapter through well, 30. Well, I'm just, the you last part, no. Okay. The last part's kind of the sign, or the, the ending of this chapter. I just want to read that. Okay. 21, starting at 21, says, For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. For if I am going to go, if I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I'm torn between the two, the desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. So in other words, Paul is in prison again, in a place again where he could lose his life. He's mm-hmm. not. We know that physically he struggled in prison. He was not in the best of health some of these times. And he says, well, you know, I'd love to wake up with Jesus. Mm-hmm. So I'm torn because I love my ministry, but also it'd be awful nice. But he says, in the end, it's more necessary that I stay. It's more necessary to remain in the body. And in the body, I don't think he's talking about his body. I think he's talking about the church as a whole. Oh, I thought he was talking about his own body. Because mine says, live on in the flesh. It's more necessary for you that I remain in the body. I, okay. Well, I, I think, I see it as... Well, it could be both, actually. ...that I stay here. That yeah. I'm here for a while. Yeah, because... And then convinced of this, I know that I will remain. He knows his mission is not over. Mm-hmm. God's not done with him yet. Mm-hmm. This is not a goodbye letter by any stretch of the imagination. He's already telling him how wonderful mm-hmm. the ministry's going in, in prison, and he says, you know, yeah, part of me... For to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Mm-hmm. He gets to go to heaven. And it's an Jesus. interesting thing. Again, culturally, when we're looking at, at this part, part of Macedonia and the Roman Empire in general, um, death was this scary thing. It was very scary. But not for him. No, but I mean the culture he's speaking mm-hmm. to here. Death is not a positive thing in this culture in any way, shape, or form. Uh, heaven was a, the Elysian fields were very rare mm-hmm. for someone to go there. The majority went to Hades, and you just knew that's what was going to happen. It was a rare thing that the heroes went one way and everybody else went somewhere else. And it wasn't hell the way we think of as hell, but 
it was not a positive to die, ever. Mm -hmm. And there was all sorts of death cults and all sorts of things going on. And he says death is gain. Mm -hmm. That is contrary to the culture that they're in. Not that he's having to correct them on anything, but he's just really drawing out the positivity of reuniting with Christ. The positivity of the afterlife and, and eternity that's been promised through Christ. I, I just like that. Mm -hmm. I'm staying because I know you need me. Yeah. Not because I need to be here, but I, but because people need me to be here. So I, I, I'm convinced that I'm going to stay around for a while. I'll be here for a while. You'll hear from me again sort of thing. I like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, boy, it'd be kind of nice to be in heaven right now, but ah, God wants me to stay. I'm going to be here. I, just, I, I, I like... He seems so open and honest and personal in these statements to the, the Philippians. He seems so personal. Mm -hmm. You know, he, he tells them, you know, I'm torn by this. Yeah, that's true. He doesn't really say that in, in most of his other books. No. In most of his other books, he's teaching. Mm -hmm. In this one, he's sharing, which is kind of neat. So, All right, why don't you finish as 27 through 30 then? Okay. Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, in no way alarmed by your opponents, which is a sign of destruction for them, but of salvation for you, and that too from God. For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake, experiencing the same conflict which you saw in me, and now here to be in me. And now here to be in me. You yeah, hear. mine says, and now here that I still have. Oh, okay. Going through the same struggles you saw I had, and now here that I still have. Yeah, and they're having the same struggles, yep. and so it's it's a it's a it's a blessing and it's an honor to suffer for Jesus. I think that's what he's saying too. It's been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in Him, but also to suffer for His sake. Right. I mean, if we're suffering for Jesus, I mean, that's an honor. And there's a, there's a there's a, a kind of a little prophetic part of this statement too, as he's talking about this, because we know Paul does not die peacefully in bed. Yeah. Um, and he says, it's been granted to you on behalf of Christ, like me, to suffer for him. Since you're going through the same struggle I had, and now you hear that I still have. I'm still, yeah. I'm still having this, the struggles. But in the end, what he says is, just be you. Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. Whether I come and see you or not, I'll know that you're, you're standing firm. Um, Continue on. Carry on. 29 verse 29 in chapter 1 mm -hmm. uh, in the message says it like this there's far more to this life than trusting in christ there's also suffering for him and the suffering is as much a gift as the trusting and uh, not that we should seek suffering but i really think that we need to embrace it when it comes to us because it is a time that we will really draw close to jesus i mean in our suffering he is there i mean he's always there but I, there's a kind of a stripping away of what matters, I think, when we're suffering. Yeah, and Paul is a really good Paul is a really good example of dealing with it this way. Put me in prison, I'll preach to the prison. Mm -hmm. You know, put me in a stadium, I'll preach to the stadium. Put me in prison, I'll preach to the prison. Mm -hmm. Doesn't matter where I go, God will use me. And so, being imprisoned 
long term like he has been um, with no guarantee of I mean it's not like he's sentenced and is going to get out there's no guarantee of any of any ending of any kind you don't know how it's going to, how his story is going to end he says that's fine God does wonderful things wherever he puts me okay. so wherever he puts you carry on so that he can keep doing that with you too alright I want to reread this because I have a question okay Okay, so... I figured it was coming back around. There's far more to this life than trusting in Christ. There's also suffering for him. And this suffering is as much a gift as the trusting. So do you think this... I mean, I think it does, but it's something to think about. When he says suffering, does he mean suffering just suffering because you are a Christian or just suffering in general? Because everybody in life will suffer. You get physical maladies. You get, you know... Well, let me, let me read my translation of the same thing here. On 29, it says, For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also suffer for him. Mm-hmm. So it's for him, suffering for him. Right. You're believing in him and suffering for him. Not just suffering. Everybody suffers. Right. But That's I think, part of the human condition of being in a fallen world. But I think, actually, though, as Christians, so maybe this one is just talking about suffering because they're Christians. Mm-hmm. But I think any of our suffering can be done for him. Mm-hmm. So if you're uh, debilitated, you're in a lot of pain, chronic pain, you can do that for him. Mm-hmm. You know, and that is worthy. You know, it's not something you seek, but if you have to deal with it, if you're doing it for him, that elevates it to God's work. Mm-hmm. I just think that's a good thought. It is. It's a, it's a good... It's a good concept, a good way of looking at the life that we are, are given here on earth because we are dying from the minute we're born. Yeah. I mean, our, this is a, this existence is an existence of decay and those things will happen and how you, how you relate to that and how you deal with that and how you approach that uh, can either reflect Christ or not. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I like that. I want to add one little thing. It's in a footnote here. Okay. Um, when I mentioned brothers and sisters, mm-hmm. the Greek word is Adelphoi, mm-hmm. and that refers to both men and women. Mm-hmm. That's not a masculine noun. It's mm-hmm. not brethren. Mm-hmm. It's brothers and sisters. Mm-hmm. So I like that. But this is this has been a great introduction here to Philippians as we get in here. So um, hopefully. You know, you could read the whole book. It's only four chapters, and it's, right? And it's it's good. It is good, and it, it is an, it is affirming, it is uplifting, it is positive. Like I said, there's a lot of a, a lot of the verses in here can be taken out one at a time and held up for you mm-hmm. in times of trouble, in times of struggle, in times yeah, of strife. Especially chapter four. That's a good one. There, chapter two is really good. Yeah, they're all good. Yeah, but. Um, I just, yeah, I recommend you read it, too. And next time, we'll come back and do Philippians, too. How about? Yeah, I think we should. Yeah. I'm going to write down some questions, though. (laughs) Of course you are. All right. You guys uh, have a nice night. Jane's got to have a list. Yep. Bye. God bless.